So this morning, we're looking at Romans 7. We're going to carry on our journey through Romans, and we're going to look at the whole chapter, but to start with, we're going to read the first 13 verses, um, and then we can dissect them and go through them and look at them and see what, see what God wants to teach us through this passage. Uh, I do have to apologize. I've got a bit of a sore throat cold this morning, so if I do cough or splutter, you have to forgive me. And also, this passage can get a bit wordy at one or two points. So if I stumble across the wording, please forgive me. So let's just start reading together. Romans 7 and verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. But once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very command that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the command, put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which was good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So we'll pause there as we're reading through. And as I said, this is a, this is a hard passage to read, and it's, it's quite complicated, but it's not as complicated as the next section that we're going to read, but we'll get to that. You see, the thing is, we have to understand this passage in our spiritual walk with God, or we're going to struggle what it really means to be in a relationship with God, because we're always in this... Um, this battle, we're always in this wrestling match that we face constantly every single day in our lives. See, firstly, we, we've looked at the law a lot the past few weeks. 
the past uh, uh, loads of um, the last few chapters has mentioned the law, the law, and it might even seem that the law itself is actually a bad thing, but it's actually not. The law is perfect holiness. The law is actually perfection, that the perfection that God actually wants us to attain to. So uh, even though it might seem like, you know, um, throughout the last chapters, we've been saying the law is bad, the law is bad, you know, we, we're not about the law, we're about grace. It's actually, you know, there's nothing wrong with the law itself. But the thing is, to follow the law in its entirety would actually mean that we were perfect and we were holy. So whenever Jesus came, Jesus followed the law entirely. He came and he actually said, I haven't come to demolish the law. I've come to complete it. I've come to show what it's really like, which is why we're meant to be like Jesus, because because he followed God's law. But we've got this problem. We've got this problem called sin. We've got all the wrong things that we've ever done, rearing up its head. And it actually, well, because we haven't reached the standard of the law, we need something to make that gap up. We need God's grace because we're sinful. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need it. But I know and you know that I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. We're all, we've all got our flaws. We've all got the sin that we struggle with on a daily basis. See, verse seven, in verse 7, it reminds us that, um, is the law sinful? No. The law is not sinful. The law is not wrong. See, the thing is, to know, what was, to know what's wrong, we need to know what right is, and vice versa. We can't know one without the other. It's a bit like light and darkness. It's a bit like hot and cold. It's a bit like left and right. You can't have one without the other. There's always these opposites um, at force. So to know what God's against, we need to know what God's for. And so in understanding this, we know the other. That's why God gave the law. God gave the law so that people might understand and know what he thinks about things, what he believes about things. And we know our God is a constant. He's not a God who wavers here, there, and everywhere. So looking back at the first few verses, it helps us put them into context. We die to the law because we don't reach God's standard. So the thing is, if you were constantly trying to be under the law and trying to do your best, and your best is never going to be good enough, we'd never reach God's standard, so we wouldn't actually be able to be with God. But... Because we're under grace, we're under the grace of God because we've asked forgiveness for our sins. That, that makes us complete. We won't make it, so we have to receive the free gift of God's grace. So we die to the law in order to be alive in Jesus' forgiveness. And through dying, we break the bonds of sin, the bonds that have held us and the bonds that have gripped us. Since we were born, We've been tied and bound to doing wrong things. I'm sure any parent knows you don't need to teach a toddler how to do wrong. You don't need to teach a kid how to do the wrong thing. It's natural. They just automatically do it. The one thing they're not meant to do will be the one thing that they do first. Naomi teaches us this time and time again. You know, she's always in the middle of doing stuff that we're like, no, why, why that one thing? You could have done anything else in the world and it would have been fine. But no. This is what we teach us. You don't need to be taught to do bad. And whenever you know something's good, it makes it even sometimes so much harder to do whenever you know it's the right thing to do. So that's why we need to be born again. 
That's why we need to be born again and die to sin, die to um, the law, die to, um, die to everything which holds us captive because the law tells us what's wrong, but it doesn't give us any solutions. It doesn't give us any way of actually, you know, coming to God holy. It says this is holiness and this is where you are. You're underneath it. You, you haven't made the standard. But God's great. whenever we die to that, we come into God's grace. And it doesn't matter where we feel we're on in the spectrum. But you know what? If we're under God's grace, we get forgiveness for everywhere where we fall short. Does it mean we're not meant to try to be holy? No. We're meant to try to be holy. So why are we supposed to do this? Why are we supposed to die to the law and come alive in in grace? It actually tells us in verse 4, it's so that we can bear fruit. Your life is supposed to be fruitful. Your life is supposed to be a good thing. It's supposed to be full of life. So if our life isn't bearing fruit, if we're not actually bearing fruit, what are we, you know, what, what are we doing with our life? Are we doing the things that the Bible teaches? Are we simply just going through life, just trying to survive? See, sometimes we just say, well, I don't do the wrong things. So therefore, that must be enough. And actually, it's not enough for us to be bearing fruit. It's not enough just to not do the bad things. We have to do the good things. We have to do the right things. Do you know it's a sin that if you know it's something is the right thing to do, it's the right response and you don't do it, that's a sin. It's a sin of omission. Sin is not simply doing wrong, but it's also it's doing the right things at the right time. And this is how we can sometimes grieve God's presence in our life. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by knowing that we're meant to love our neighbor in that way, knowing that we're meant to respond in this way, and we choose not to. If I said to you, well, imagine if I went to one of your neighbors and said, how does that person love you? Would they have a response as to how we are loving our neighbors in the name of Jesus? Now, your neighbor could be anyone. I'm not talking about your next-door neighbor of your house. I'm talking about people that you interact with regularly. Do they know the love of God in your life, and do they know the the love that you have for them and care for them? Therefore, it's simply not enough to not do things. We have to actively be doing things to love and to show this love. This is what we're meant to do, and that's the fruit that we bear. Because whenever people think of things, whenever things go wrong, whenever something happens to them, you're usually the first person they want to call because they know, one, you care, and two, you're going to give them the honest truth and the answer, and you're going to help them, you're going to guide them, you're going to be there for them. So when things go wrong, are we the people that people can rely on and call upon? And not only that, whenever things are going right, do they want to call on us? So the truth is, whenever God reveals his truth to you and you don't do something about that and don't apply that teaching, it's a sin. It's actually pulling away from God. And this is sometimes, it's been an issue in some churches where there's some people who have been in church their whole life and they've just fed and fed and fed on God's word. But whenever they walk out the door, it doesn't impact their life. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't transform how they live their life. So in essence, they're living a lie because when they're in church, they're just getting fat on God's word and they're being, in essence, they become a glutton to God's word, but they don't actually give it to anybody else to feed on. They don't give it away. They don't share what God's given them. And we end up with these fat Christians who basically are useless because they're not actually applying anything they've learned. 
One of the worst things you can, you can be is, is, in essence, a bed-bound Christian, just getting fat and fatter and fatter on God's Word if you're not applying the truth and using it in a fit and healthy way. This is a, it's a big challenge to all of us because you can come to church your whole life and not be applying God's Word. You cannot apply the truth that God's placed in you, the love that He's given you, you can keep for yourself. That's a scary thought. There's a world dying out there. There's a world not, that doesn't know God. There's a world that's going to hell, and they don't actually know the love that God has for them. See, not only that, sometimes we can do things a certain way for so many years, and we can just become convinced, that's who I am, that's the way I do things, and that's, what's, uh, that's what it is. But the thing is, we actually need to get to the point where we realize that sometimes some of the things we've done and some of the ways we've acted for so long actually isn't exactly the way God intended. It's not exactly what it, In essence, some of us could be the ladybird, where we look a certain way and we, 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 you know, we look amazing, but, there's, but we've never actually spread our wings and flies. We've never actually you know, revealed the wings underneath the beauty that God's given us and actually flew. And you see, God wants to reveal to us certain, uh, certain things and certain uh, aspects of his character, but we need to be willing to respond and change and transform and go with God. So there's something you might have done for, for years, and you might have acted a certain way for years, and God might go, I don't want you to act that way anymore. I want you to do this instead. And we need to be willing to listen to his prompting, to actually allow him to guide us, allow him to actually help us make a choice. Because we need to choose to listen to God's word or not. So if God tells you that the way you've acted in that way is wrong, you need to transform that and change that and act in this way instead. We need to listen to God's voice and respond to it. Because if you don't, you're actually stopping God working in your life. You're stopping God moving in your life. We've got to come in line with God's plan, not our own plan. See, when you didn't know something was wrong, it's fine to do. In the, in, in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve gained the knowledge of good and evil, because that's all the tree did, the tree allowed, whenever they took the fruit off the tree and ate from the tree, they gained the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil still existed. They just didn't know the difference. They didn't know any better. But whenever they gained the knowledge of good and evil by eating from the tree, they gained all this. And what's the first thing they did? They run and hid from God's presence. See, we need to be people that seeks out God's presence. We need to be people that seeks out what God wants. This is how we get ourselves back in line with what God wants. This is how we um, allow ourselves to be transformed. See, it says in verse 11 that sin seized the opportunity afforded to it. It deceived me and put me to death. So whenever you didn't know something was wrong, that was fine. But as soon as God teaches you the truth that something's wrong, that something needs to change, that's whenever we need to respond to that challenge in a, in a positive way. We need to say, okay, God, help me transform. Help me do what I'm meant to do. Help me be who I'm meant to be. If you look at, throughout history, if you look throughout the whole of um, anywhere there's been a move of God, anywhere where God has come in and moved, you see a deep movement within people's spirits. You see a deep pe movement within people at the start of it. 
See, suddenly the thing, the small things that used to be acceptable, so the little white lies, the little sins that, that have happened, you know what, the meaningless sins almost, the stuff that you can just do and get away with, you know what, they suddenly become big. They suddenly become uh, where people just start repenting for everything that they can think of. People just come to God and they say, God, I'm so sorry for all of this. So God, come and move in my life. God, come and move in me and through me. See, it's only when the people realize how sinful they are and they come in repentance to God and say, God, come and have your way. That's whenever God moves in response to that. If you, if you track any of the revivals or anything throughout history, like um, the Hebridean um, revival, whenever that started, that started by, well, started with two women praying in their house, in their living room. And then more people joined them, more people, and then they ended up in a barn. And they were pray there was a group of people praying in a barn together. And one night God's presence fell whenever one man stood to his feet and basically cried out to God, saying, are my hands, uh, are my, are my hands clean, is my heart pure? And God's presence fell, and then stuff started to happen. It's on YouTube. Just uh, type in, you know, Duncan Campbell revival and, uh, you know, Hebridean revival. You, you can listen to his testimony of it. It's a recorded testimony of the man himself actually, you know, telling about it. So whenever you see that, it's, in essence, we're seeing what God promises in Second Chronicles 7.14. Because it says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's what God wants to do. This is why we need to, to know the law and live, live purely under it, as, as best as we can live in purity, in line with the way God intended us to live. It's not just a physical thing we're doing, it's a spiritual thing we're doing. See, it's for the sake of God moving in our land, in our time, we want to see God move in this area. We want to see God transform this area. So what do we, what do we have to do according to Second Chronicles 7.14? We've got to humble ourselves and pray. We've got to get on our knees before God. We've got to seek God's face. We've got to say, God, show us your presence. God, send your presence to be with us. Send your presence into this land. We've got to turn from our wicked ways. So all the wrong things we've ever done and all the wrong things we're doing and even all the wrong things we're planning to do, we need to give them all up. We need to come to God humbly and just say, God, come and have your way in us. See, are we willing to give up everything in our life to see God move? Are we willing to give up everything that we invest so heavily in for God's presence to come? See, some of the stuff that you're doing might be amazing, it might be good, but is it what God intended? Is it God's plan? Is it God's plan that you do this, that, or the other thing? Or are you, what are you willing to sacrifice to see God move in this land? What are you willing to give up to see God transform our lives, transform all of our lives, and transform this community? for him. And you know what, we do face the biggest challenge. And as we read on, you'll see the challenge and the battle that we are in. Verse 14, it says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. 
For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if, if I do what I do not want to do, it is, not, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. Now, that's, that, if you understand that, please come and teach me. That, but you know what? That's just showing the battle that's within us and the battle that wages war inside our souls. You know what, there's all this stuff that I long to do, but I can't do it, and I don't do it because of all this other stuff that's just, just pulling me, and I feel like I'm being pulled in every direction because there's so much that I want to do, but because of all the stuff that I am doing and all the stuff that I have been doing, um, I feel so unworthy to do the stuff I'm meant to do. Now, believe it or not, there's actually 22 do's in that passage, 22. And that's the constant battle that we're facing because there's all this stuff in our life. We've, our lives are full. One way or another, we fill our lives full of, well, whatever we fill our lives with. And we're in this constant battle to do the right thing, to do what, what honors God, to do what, what we know we want, what God wants us to do. But you know what? This shows us that we're, it's not about what we do. If actually, Ephesians 2, verses um, 8 and 9 reminds us of that. It's not about what we do. It's about his grace. So even if we don't meet God's standard, even if we're not doing all the right things, you know what, it's about God's grace. And we can be so tangled up in this web of guilt and this web of lies and this web of what we do and what we don't do and what we long to do and what we're not longing to do and, and, and all of the mess that the do's create that we, we can get distracted and be so covered by the guilt of all that that we actually don't follow God. We don't seek God's presence. We don't just pull aside and pray. We don't actually just go, God, come and have your way in my life. That's what we need to constantly be doing, stripping back our lives from all the stuff that we've done and all the stuff that we're doing and just be, and just be in God's presence. Because you are not the sin that you've done. You are not the sin that you have allowed to happen in your life. All the wrong things that have ever happened in your life, that is not who you are. That is not who God says you are. The verse uh, we, sang, we sang in the chorus earlier, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. First and foremost, you are a son or a daughter of the living God. First and foremost. Whatever you've done, whatever you do, whatever you're doing, anything else is just, it's not, it's not us. Yes, it might tarnish us. It might break us. It might, uh, it might affect us. And we might feel like we're unworthy. But you know what? You are not the sin that you've done. You're a child of God. And this is why we've got to examine ourselves, examine our lives and go, God, take this mess, take this broken mess, take this, this thing that you've given me and use it for your good, use it for your glory. And we must call the sin in our lives sin, but not live under it. And just admit that that's the sin that, that was, but it's not the child of God that I am. Verse 21, it says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So this needs to be the cry of our hearts that, yes, I'm a sinner. I know I don't reach God's standards. I'm at war every day with myself. In essence, we are, our hearts are at war within ourselves every day. We struggle with it. We struggle with our identity. We struggle with knowing that we're of who we are and who God made us to be. But we don't give up there. We've got to know God's love. And we've got to know that even though the sin tries to drag us away, it's not going to succeed. You know what? It's really harsh language that's used in this passage. It talks about waging war in our mind. We've got to declare war, in essence, on ourselves sometimes and just go, God, anything that's unrighteous, anything that's not bringing good to you, help me clear it out. Help me get rid of it. Help me come to you as holy and pure. And it's making us a prisoner of ourselves. We don't, we don't want to be a prisoner. We can't let the sin win. We can't let it rule us. We need to break its power over us, which is why I said at the start, we need to die to it. We need to give it up. We need to set it down. We need to walk away. We need to choose to not walk into situations where we know it's going to happen. So if we know that we're, uh, if we know we're an alcoholic, we don't go to the pub where there's loads of alcohol free. Do you know what I'm saying? We've got to choose to follow God in the right ways. If we don't call out the sin in our lives and repent, we can't expect God to move. We can't expect God to come and move in our lives if we don't call sin what it is, if we don't come to God humbly and ask him to move in our lives. It doesn't matter how big or how small that sin. In verse 24, Paul cries out, What a wretched man I am. We've got to get to that point where we're desperate before God and go, God, I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm, I know I'm broken. But God, come and have your way in me. Come and show me your forgiveness. Come and show me who you are. And the next line after he says, what a wretched man I am, he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And there's only one answer to that. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Jesus delivers us. So when we cry out to God and we live, um, we live in, our, in our spirit for God, you know what, Jesus comes and delivers us from the sin, from the wrong things we've done, so we've got to turn to him this morning. We've got to realize that forgiveness is just a moment away. We just have to ask for it. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness. Repent. Turn around and walk a different way. And the transforming power of God will sweep into your life and help you live your life every day for him, if you let it. There was an old chorus that used to be sung years ago, only a sinner saved by grace, only a sinner saved by grace. And that's what we need to keep singing over ourselves in essence. I'm only a sinner, I'm saved by grace. I'm only, all the wrong things I've done, I'm saved from. We need to keep letting go of all the stuff which tries to hold on to us and follow God humbly and keep declaring over ourselves as we did in our last song, God's identity over us. I'm a child of God. 
yes, I am. Can you declare that this morning with all of your heart? That I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I'm not a child of the sin. I'm not a child of the mistakes. I'm a child of God. And that's what we need to do this morning. Declare over ourselves who we are. Declare over ourselves who God made us to be. Not what the devil tries to convince us that we are. Let's pray together. God, thanks that we can humbly approach your throne. God, we come to your feet. We come and just say, have your way in us, God. God, any wrong thing that we've ever done, any unclean way in us, God, we just want to lay at your feet. We want to say, take it and remove it from us, God. And you promised to remove our sin as far as the east is from the west, an immeasurable distance. You take our sin away from us, God. God, anything that's wrong within us, point it out, God, so that we can, with clean hands and pure heart, ascend your hill. We can ascend the mountain of the living God. We can be in your presence. We can stay in your presence. We can live in your presence. We can be your children, God, because that's who you declare that we are. Whenever we receive the forgiveness of sins, we're adopted into your family. We are made part of your family. And God, give us the strength every day to live in your family. Give us the strength every day to choose to follow you, God, to choose to seek out your presence, to choose to seek your face, to choose to do the things that we know you ask us to do, like love our neighbor, whatever that means in, a, in any capacity. So God, just come now, have your way in us. God, as we go home to our family, as we go home, go to our friends, whatever we're doing the rest of today, God, just speak into our soul. Reassure us of your salvation. Reassure us that you love us and that you died for us. And teach us how to walk in this humbly. Teach us how to walk in your love every single day with a humble and contrite spirit. So God, just come, be with us. Where we need forgiveness, God, we ask forgiveness now. Where we need acceptance, God, we ask acceptance now. In Jesus' name.